Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. And back in studio with us today is Emma Waters. Emma serves as a research associate in the Richard and Helen DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family right here at the Heritage Foundation. Emma, thanks for being back. Hi, thanks for having me on. Well, we're going with a little bit of our, our norm this morning and, of course, mentioning Taylor Swift during the intro because her heiress tour movie just came out and during its opening weekend, it grossed more than $92 million. So when I was looking that up, then it sent me down a rabbit hole of looking at the highest grossing films of all time across the board, highest grossing movies. So I have a little a little wager for you all that <laughs> if you can guess four of the of the top ten highest grossing movies of all time, I will buy you all a coffee. Is this like a tag team effort? Can I yeah. Not? Okay. Yeah. You all can tag team it. I believe in us. Um, I did I four because I feel like three are quite obvious, and so I had to I had to make it four. Okay. I'm gonna have to start with Star Wars. I, I just you have to be specific. Oh gosh. Which Star Wars? I'm gonna close. My I'm going to say see. Yes. the one that's chronologically fourth, but in like. Oh gosh, what's it called? Uh, uh, the the first. It's like the first one, but it's chronologically the fourth. If you're like watching it through. I uh, see. I'm not familiar enough with Star Wars. Can to we Google know that? Or do you want to Google that? The at the fourth it's, episode. It's the Luke Skywalker Walker one. It's the one where he comes on the scene. Our Jedi our training. listeners who are Star Wars fans are probably just like shaking their Surprise. heads. Right now. I know. Like, this I know. Is pathetic. <laughs> Luke Luke Skywalker. You know what? Star we'll circle Wars. back. We can circle back. <laughs> okay, we'll circle back. Um, there is a Star Wars among the top okay. ten. Is it The Empire Strikes Back? No, I didn't think so. Is that? It's I don't think not. that's the fourth one. Is it? No, it's not. I just wasn't sure if it was higher grossing. Definitely not Rogue One. I know that. <laughs> no, I think the newer ones are pretty. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll we'll circle back to that one. Yeah. But okay. Star Wars, okay, cool. And we're we're sure. And then there's three more. <laughs> one of the Indiana Jones. Let's see. Um, do 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 do. No, no Ooh. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, Ooh. I think, lands definitely like among the top 50 but it's not on the top 10 avatar avatar the yep. blue people one avatar yes. yeah yep <laughs> the blue people one <laughs> that's great i'm sorry <laughs> okay uh, so which which avatar the first one or the second one i guess the, the first one yep. yeah yeah because the one. second one i didn't even care about like i was like oh this happened yeah yeah okay so we got one that's good that's one mm. other other big blockbusters You've got this, Emma. I can see it. I feel like the Jeopardy music should Visualize. be on. Visualize. I know. Visualize. This is... Can we add that? We should add that. <laughs> it should be great. The question of the, the hot seat. Oh, Titanic. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Titanic. We just talked about in, that months yep. ago. At number nine. Oh. oh that's actually nine. impressive. Yeah. Well, so it, for years, Titanic held the number one slot. Right. And then... It got bumped down. Ooh, franchises then probably knocked it out, right? Mm, maybe. Oh, perhaps. Maybe. Perhaps. Perhaps. So Star Wars. <laughs> Back to Star Wars. You know one Star Wars is on there. Uh, and I, Avatar was number four. The first Avatar movie is number four. Number four. Oh, gosh. Okay, so we've so got two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're still not even hitting the top three. So I'm, I'm assuming we see a Marvel movie in there. <gasps> Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Which, which Marvel movie? 
This assumes that we know the names of any of them oh, other than no. like. See, okay, I am this a is Marvel actually fan, sad because I so. do know all of them. Okay, so no, that's not sad. <laughs> okay, did Endgame make it? Yes, number yes, two. Yes, Emma. There we go. Three. I got we were waiting excited. on it. <laughs> Juno's like, oh no. This is like the only one I knew of. Um, okay, I like Marvel. Marvel's great. Marvel is great. Do we want to try to go back to the Star Wars one? I'll give you a hint. It's a more recent Star Wars movie. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Like, I think we were all in high school. Ooh. Emp- it's not Empire Strikes Back. Nope. I stopped watching Star Wars when the new ones came out. Okay. So. Then you probably have not seen this. Hey, you can't Google. I'm not Googling. Okay. <laughs> Emma pulled out her phone. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back is not it. Then we've got Return of the Jedi. We've got... Uh, no. Some. Oh, you don't have to answer. I'm just. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm thinking out loud. Okay. I'm brainstorming. Okay. brainstorming. But it's here. recent, and we were in high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's like what early. Or t- actually, sorry, no college. <gasps> Ooh. Okay. Okay. So maybe not Rogue One. I don't think. But is it the one with Adam Driver in it? Like the first one that he's in? I don't know actors. I don't know who celebrities sad. are. <laughs> no, he's the he's the really hot Star Wars guy that everyone had a crush <gasps> oh, on. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh. 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 Um. Shoot. Is it Force Awakens? Yes. <gasps> that's Whoa, number way one. Way to go. Number one. Woo! That okay. took way too long. I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll give a quick run through of the, of the top ten highest grossing of all time. So we have Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Avengers Endgame at number two, Spider-Man No Way Home at number three, oh. Avatar at number four, uh, Top Gun Maverick at number five. Whoop, whoop. Black Panther at number six. Really? Ooh. Avatar The Way of Water at number seven. Well, we could have gotten a twofer. <laughs> we could have gotten both of them. I don't think I knew anyone who saw Avatar 2. I, I, I never would have guessed that. Same. And anyone who saw it was like, eh, it was okay. Um, Avengers Infinity War number eight, Titanic number nine, and Drastic World at number 10. Ooh, Chris oh. Pratt's just on that list. I know. So literally every single movie is an action movie. That's every insane. One. And, and almost all sense. a franchise. Yeah franchises action franchises with the exception well i don't think you can call titanic an action movie i mean there is some pretty intense it's kind of shocking that that went from one to nine yeah Yeah. i think it's just like how movies have changed right like Mm. there's so many good blockbusters now people flock to the theaters i really hope taylor swift's like honestly i really hope it doesn't make top 10 because it just says a lot yeah it's such a niche audience yeah you know when you've essentially it's by and large, only going to be women going to see it overall. So mm-hmm. my thought is also that the first two weekends are probably going to be inordinately high. Yeah, but I don't true. think that'll be a sustained turnout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my guess. But I do want to see it. I haven't seen it yet. No, um, we should go like see, see it. it. We're going to go see it PW together. PW Watch Party. Yeah, there we go. Let's do it. There we go. We're going to see it. Love it. All right. Well, thank you all for playing along. I'll buy you all coffees now. <laughs> But Kristen, go ahead and let us know what we have queued up today. Up on today's Problematic Women, we explain a little bit of the history of the conflict between Israel and Palestine and how we got to where we are today. Plus, we unpack why some college students are supporting Palestine and in turn Hamas. Also on today's show, Britney Spears said she had an abortion more than 20 years ago and it remains one of the most painful things she has ever gone through. And more employers are ditching the requirement for a college degree. Is this a good thing? We weigh in. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. 
If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Okay, so of course we have to start the show today talking about what is on everyone's hearts and minds, and that is what is happening in Israel. Uh, This coming Saturday will mark two weeks that Israel has been at war. On October 7th, Hamas launched a terrorist attack against Israel by land, sea, and air. They fired rockets into Israel, shot and killed civilians at a music festival in Israel, and they entered homes, they murdered children, mothers, fathers. October 7th was the deadliest day in Jewish history since the Holocaust. We know that 1,300 Israelis were killed. We know that 30 Americans were killed and another 13 are missing and maybe among the nearly 200 hostages taken. Now, I want to be really clear. I am I'm not a historian. I'm not a theologian, but I do want to take a minute and just explain a little bit of the background in the history um, of the conflict between Israel and Palestine and where that tension comes from, why it's been going on for so long. You know, at a very, very basic elementary level, the conflict is over land. Um, but it's a lot more complicated than that. And I am just barely going to scratch the surface today um, explaining some of where where the conflict, where the tension stems from. And it, honestly, it begins all the way back in the book of, of Genesis. So super fast, quick history. Um, you all will remember if, if you've ever read the book of Genesis, Abraham was given a promise from God that he would be the father of many nations, that he would have many descendants. And um, God made his covenant with Abraham, covenant with the Jewish people, beginning with Abraham. Now, Abraham's wife was named Sarah. Sarah was getting older. She was not getting pregnant. And so Sarah said, look, God gave you this promise. It's not happening through me. So take my servant, get her pregnant, and maybe through her, we can have a baby and fulfill this promise. So Abraham had a baby with Hagar, and they had a son, and they named him Ishmael. Um, Well, later, Sarah did get pregnant, and she gave birth to Isaac. And so the descendants of Ishmael are Arabs, and Palestinians are Arabs, and the descendants of Isaac are Jews. So this goes all the way back that you see kind of this original tension form, family tension. Kind of interesting. I think that's really, really important to understand. Um, And it's also really important to understand what the promise is that God gave to Abraham In Genesis, and specifically in Genesis 17, verse 8, um, God says to Abraham, Also, I give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God, meaning I will be the God of your descendants. So modern day, the land of Canaan includes present-day Israel, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, Um, plus adjoining coastal lands, parts of Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. So the Israelites, they did eventually take possession of some of that land that the Lord told them was theirs around 1400 B.C. 
you fast forward about 400 years, you have the rule of King David, you fast forward about another 400 years, and you have the, the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem. Many Jews are taken back to Babylon, taken captive. Around 520 BC before Christ, the Jews return to build the temple in Jerusalem. Of course, Christ comes. That's where we switch from BC to AD. Then Rome comes. They destroy the temple after Christ has risen again, returned to heaven. And around 70 AD is when Rome invades Jerusalem. Many of the Jews are taken captive, taken back to Rome, scattered. And Jews really remain very scattered across the world for years and years and years. Fast forward to 1948, and the state of Israel that we know today was created. Uh, But before that, both Arabs and Jews continued to live in that region um, of Palestine and were known as Palestinians. So there was Israeli Palestinians and there was Arab Palestinians. But in the early 1900s, there were calls for Jews to, again, have their own state, have their own homeland. And uh, this call increased after World War II, after the Holocaust. So then we saw that in 1948, the land was divided between the Jews and the Palestinian Arabs. And Israel has honestly, since that, since that day that the Jews were given, again, their, a portion of, of the land that, that God had appointed for them, all the way back in the book of Genesis, since 1948, they have been defending that land. And the land that they have right now is about the same size as the state of New Jersey. There's just under about 9 million people who live in the state of Israel. Excuse me, just under about 10 million. I think it's 9, as of 2021, is 9.3 million. So it's probably increased a little bit since then. So... In light of all of that, we need to talk about who is Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization. It has roots in the Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. It's, it is a classified terrorist organization, according to the U.S. government. The group's charter calls for the establishment of an Islamic Palestinian state in place of Israel. So their end goal is to eliminate Israel, to eliminate the Jewish people completely. And I I do want to make incredibly clear that there are many, many wonderful Palestinian people. And as as believers, um, as conservatives, we never celebrate the loss of life. The loss of life is always tragic. And what we're seeing right now, the loss of life of Palestinians is tragic and the loss of life of Israelis is tragic. So we want to be really clear to differentiate the Palestinians from the terrorist organization Hamas. But what's really important to note is Hamas is using the Palestinian people essentially as human shields. Hamas does not care about life and they, they want to see Israel destroyed at any cost, even if it's at the cost of their own people. So obviously this is not an exhaustive history by any means, but I think it's important just to give a little bit of background. There's so much good history that is available, that is exhaustive online, and I really encourage everyone, be doing your research right now because there's so much misinformation floating Mm -hmm. around or just not even totally misinformation, but it's just pieces, right? And we need context to fully understand a situation. But given this history, let's talk about what we're seeing specifically on college campuses. We've been seeing a lot of protests that are pro-Palestinian. 
And I think it's important to talk about why we're seeing this, even on campuses like Harvard, where we saw 30 student groups all sign a letter saying Israel is 100% at fault for this conflict. Why do you think that Israel is getting blamed specifically by young people who are rushing to defend Palestine and truly, in turn, defending Hamas by doing that? First of all, that was amazing, that context that you just <laughs> laid out. I think that we need to just, like, wow, that was great, going back to Thanks, Genesis. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you're, to your point, we're in this age of we want to be accepted. Students want to be accepted, which is why we're seeing Students for Justice in Palestine and just the, the protests by students in general push for this rhetoric and push for this, you know, anti what they're calling uh, Jews, they're calling Jews Zionists. So mm-hmm. I recently went to a protest, it was in front of the Washington Post, and they were protesting the fact that the Washington Post was spreading this misinformation and not blaming Israel. And they, they truly believed that, which yeah. was very concerning, because there's, you know, a lot of history there that's being missed. And I think Part of that reason is because they truly believe and have been taught that Israel is not a country, which Mm -hmm. could not be further from the truth. If you look back, not just 75 or, you know, however many years it is, but further than that, Jewish people have been in the Middle East. And it was actually very interesting because the Arch of Titus outside of the Colosseum in Rome, Mm -hmm. it was built after the sacking of Jerusalem by the Romans in 71 AD, and they even lit blue and white on that arch it was beautiful and that was symbolic of you know basically the oppression of of the jewish people so i think that to your point people really need to start digging in to what the history behind um, this conflict is and it's biblical and knowing that there is an enemy out there that's going to push a narrative and that's going to push the lack of tolerance it's just important to remember that There's a lot of misinformation out there. I think Elon had said that 60 accounts, like a network of 60 accounts, were banned from X as a result of pushing these fake narratives. Um, There might be a little less, a little more, so don't quote me. But that's also important because there is propaganda out there. And I remember learning about World War I and World War II, and they were billboards or, you know, like different news articles back then. But we're in the era of social media And that is now the new place for propaganda. So when you're seeing these things, you have to question it. You have to question your sources and, again, shed context and light. And I think there's a lot of misled young younger people full of hatred and a desire to be acceptance out there that are looking for an easy way out and a narrative to be explained for them so that they don't have to do thinking for themselves. Mm. Yeah, I think, too, mentioning Twitter and just how widespread misinformation can be and then take on top of that AI and the ability to Mm. create images or manipulate images. I think a lot of people are just really desensitized at this point because you look at something and you're like, I don't know, is this true? Is it not true? Like there's heart-wrenching stories that I read of like firsthand accounts coming from profiles that frankly, like reading them, I was like, I don't know, like, is this actually true? Like, is this real? And like, that's a terrible position to be in when you want to sympathize, you want to be able to like really like partake in the suffering to the degree that you can, but instead just feel so overwhelmed by the options out there, right? And like seeing some things that are tagged as misinformation, but others, like you were mentioning, just lacking context. Yeah, it just... This is an incredibly overwhelming time, I think, to try to like process through any great tragedy. Yeah. And then on top of that, I know a lot of my friends who are Jewish or have family 
who's married in, right? Who, who is a lot of them, this has been such an obviously like emotionally just mm. horrific time. Mm. And to the degree that we feel that pain, like I can't imagine what it would be like knowing that you have friends, knowing that you have family there or who has lived there. And for a lot of them, they've also talked about how like they just have to totally unplug. Like to what yeah. degree can you just say mm. like this is a tr- like this is like a p- an act of pure evil that like deserves to be utterly decimated from the face of the earth. And but also like we can't follow every single news story that's come out. Yeah. And this isn't a lack of sympathy. This isn't a lack of caring. Right. It's just like there are limitations to what you can handle, especially when it's like that personal to you. Yeah. Yeah. But with college campuses, it seems interesting to me that a lot of times it's not necessarily pure anti-semitism like it's not death to jews necessarily it seems to be a heavy at least in some places a heavy emphasis on death to israel Mm -hmm. and that distinction is interesting to me because it's a question of like what is it that like these people actually hate and, and what do they think that they're hating and it seems to be like the fact that israel is such a strong state clearly has been incredibly blessed by the Lord, right? And has survived amidst, like, they should have been blown off the face of the earth, like, thousands of times at this point, And, like, they're still here, Against right? All odds. And are still, like, an incredibly strong force. And they're, so, like, if you think of, like, the sort of, like, victim culture that's really, like, taken hold of our college campuses, there seems to be this idea of, like, the more powerful, the more seemingly blessed entity is therefore necessarily the bad entity. Because mm. um, if you have a victim mindset, then you're going to say the weaker one is always the hero. Yeah. But in the case of Hamas, right, and, and like the Palestinians, like Hamas is like thankfully weaker and clearly pure evil. They certainly are using and abusing the Palestinians in the region. Like I, I love the fact that we're trying to get aid and humanitarian care to the Gaza Strip to Palestinians. I don't know if anyone really thinks that Hamas is going to let it go to the people who need it. Yeah. I mean, every, it's kind of. Yeah. I don't care. It's kind of like when we unfroze the six billion dollars and the Biden administration justified it with its humanitarian. No, you just froze unfroze six billion that they could then reallocate. Maybe that six billion goes to the humanitarian efforts, but Iran then has six billion more to play with. Like, what could they no, do? This yeah. just seems painful. And again, I'm not a foreign policy expert, but it just <laughs> seems like a painfully obvious like oversight there. Where, yeah, yeah, it's like we we can't trust people that we have known to be untrustworthy. It's what the definition of humanity is like doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Like we know that that people like Hamas are untrustworthy. They're not going to do what they they say they're going to do. Um, and in the case of you know what's happening here, I think it's really important to think about the the strategy Hamas is using versus the strategy that Israel is using. What you're seeing from Israel is they are defending their land, they're defending their people, and they're strategically trying to eliminate Hamas. They're trying to eliminate the terrorists. They dropped leaflets from the sky in Gaza yeah. warning people to move south because they don't want to kill civilians, mm-hmm. whereas you have Hamas entered a music festival with all civilians and started shooting at random yeah. trying to kill people. They found reports. I don't know if you guys saw this. They found battle plans from Hamas mm-hmm. um, in the wake of like the cleanup of these yeah, areas of destruction. And they found that Hamas not only happened to kill civilians, but it was in the literal plan and structure of the attack to target areas where they knew there would be the most women and children. Mm. 
and like, this is pure it's evil. Sick. It's yeah. sick. There are reports too. Um, the national the national desk did an amazing one hour long segment, mm-hmm. and they actually have a reporter that went to Israel two years ago, and he's still in touch with some of the um, the people that have tragically died and and their family members. And um, one in one instance, it was they broke into an apartment building and just started like killing people how do you justify that yeah you can't you You just can't you can't well we we mourn the loss of all life here and uh, for those listening who might know someone um, who was killed or I I know for those living in Israel everyone's saying you know you're just one degree of separation away from either someone who was killed or a hostage Um, and we continue to pray for the people of Israel and of course our, our hope and prayer is that this is a short conflict, um, yeah. most people believe it will be quite long, but ultimately that's in God's hands. So yeah. we will yeah. see, but we have, we're, we're going to be a little bit lighter <laughs> the rest <laughs> of the show, talking a little bit of, um, a little bit of pop culture here in a second. But first I want to tell you all about one of my favorite ways to get the news and keep up with the issues that I care about. If you're anything like me, you probably enjoy researching interesting topics or just being entertained on YouTube. But sometimes it's really hard to know what information is actually well-researched and trustworthy. And that is where the Daily Signal YouTube channel comes in. We are constantly posting new videos that are designed to keep you up to date on the news that you actually care about and give you data and facts really succinctly. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, entertaining clips from podcast interviews, and so much more. So go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel today so that you never miss out on the news that actually matters. All right, let's talk a little bit of pop culture news. More than 20 years ago, Britney Spears says that she had an abortion. She details this experience and how it affected her in her forthcoming memoir, The Woman and Me. It's out on October 24th. Um, And it was the early 2000s, and Britney and Justin Timberlake were dating. She got pregnant. And according to um, People Magazine's exclusive reporting on this, Britney says that getting pregnant was a surprise for her. But she says, for me, it wasn't a tragedy. And she continues saying, I love Justin so much. I always expected us to have a family together one day. This would just be much earlier than I'd anticipated. But Justin definitely wasn't happy about the pregnancy. He said, we weren't ready to have a baby in our lives and we were way too young. So she had an abortion and says that if it had been left up to me alone, I never would have done it. And then she goes on to say, to this day, it's one of the most agonizing things I have ever experienced in my life. Spears is now 41 years old. She and Justin Timberlake broke up in 2002. She has, or excuse me, Justin Timberlake has been married to Jessica Biel since 2012. Britney Spears has been married three times. She's currently in the middle of a divorce, but she does have two sons who are both teenagers. So I think it's incredibly brave, first off, for Britney Spears to share this experience because she had to have known that people were going to come out with all sorts of opinions and responses. But what did you all think when you first heard this news? 
Yeah, it was incredibly heartbreaking. So I think first, like the law is a teacher in a really like just like simply pure way. And so when the Dobbs decision came out last summer overturning Roe v. Wade, while you've obviously seen a huge push across the board to either protect life or to further violate life in the aftermath of that, I think one of the really cool things that you do see coming out of Dobbs is that the baseline discussion on abortion is radically different now. So now you see women, I think, having more covered to say like, okay, like I can come out and be honest about the fact that this abortion wasn't good for me, that this isn't actually what I wanted. Because now for the first time since Dobbs, like we actually have states and we have real legal protections that reinforce that and that protect that. And it just sort of changes the center of gravity. The center of gravity is no longer, this is the constitution and it provides a right to abortion. Now we say like there is in fact no constitutional right to an abortion. There never was. And now states and individuals need to work out the details, right? The federal government needs to take a leading role in that. But it provides people now with the space to really say like, oh, like this 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 wasn't good for me. This abortion wasn't what I wanted it to be. It wasn't what I thought it to be. So I just think that's a cool shift that... Brittany coming out with this now, I think is probably the first in a long line of women who are going to be really honest about their abortion and feel like they have the legal and social protection to do so. And then two, thinking about children, children are such a stabilizing force in a woman's life. Mm -hmm. Um, There are many, many accounts of women who say that getting pregnant was the best thing that ever happened to them and it saved their life because it gave them something to care about beyond themselves. Mm -hmm. So many women who were on drugs prior to it, who got off drugs, right? Who didn't feel like they had a purpose in life, who were like, no, like I have a child now that I need to live for, that I need to care for. And so it just, my first thought was like, Brittany has had a really hard life um, and just been through some crazy things. I just wonder what life would have looked like if she had kept the child, if Justin had encouraged her to do that. Would that have been the stabilizing force that she really needed through those early years of fame? that maybe actually really kept her grounded. We'll never know, but that just, yeah, like there's so much good that a child brings to a woman's life. And so the fact that she regretted it, like you have no idea how that just left her feeling so out of control and so hurt. There's so many studies that show that women who have an abortion have higher substance abuse rates, um, are more likely to be on drugs or abuse alcohol or deal with anxiety and depression. And if you look at Britney Spears' life, like, she dealt with all of those things to an extreme degree and having an abortion that she didn't really want prior to those things happening. Obviously we have no way of knowing causation, right? But it seems that there's a really strong correlation between those things. Yeah. And her life has, has been on display for so, so long. She was a child celebrity um, that grew up just in the spotlight. It makes you kind of question some of the headlines. Like what was there more to it than, than we really knew. Um, I think there was a documentary or something that came out a few years ago, and I watched some of it. But um, one of the big items they discussed on that documentary about about Britney Spears was um, that the pressure from the paparazzi and headlines Mm. and how that impacted her mental health, um, it, it just didn't help the situation. So, you know, she's famous for shaving her head and doing crazy things. Her Instagram, sometimes I take a look just because I, I grew up listening to her. And um, my first CD ever was uh, a Britney Spears CD. I don't remember what it was called, but I would listen to it on my pink Walkman and I felt so cool. Yes. Um, and, you know, I looked up to her as a kid, loved her music and she, you, you just got to empathize and it makes just the whole situation to your point 
a huge teaching moment and almost, I hate to use the word normalizing because the left uses it all the time for bad things, but normalizing the discussion that abortions aren't good Mm -hmm. and they're really harmful to not just the baby, but the mother too. Yeah. Well, it was interesting to see how much the public is weighing in on this um, and and news outlets who are definitely not pro-life. There's a huge buzz TMZ reported on it, but in Britney Spears' music video for the song Every Time, uh, it features this I don't know, narrative of a woman giving birth to a baby in a hospital, and um, everyone had always thought that the song was about a guy, probably Justin Timberlake, uh, but now people think, wait, was that actually an honoring of the baby that she aborted? I just got so many chills written <laughs> And I'm now tearing up. That's so hard. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, social media was was all abuzz with rumors of that, which I think is it's significant to see, like I said, people who are definitely not pro-life. But um, people need to be aware of an issue that I think has been very hidden, which is that abortion deeply and painfully affects women. And we, we see a very loud contingent of the pro-abortion movement that's sort of the shout your abortion movement and celebrate your abortion the re- this is the reality like Brittany's reality with abortion is the reality for so many women that it is deeply deeply painful and i think we have to look at the fact in Brittany's story that you know even so many years later she's very open about the fact that her boyfriend then justin timberlake played a really big role in her decision and from Uh, research that has been uh, conducted and reported on by the Charlotte Losher Institute, they report that over 60% of women who have abortions, that they say there was high pressure that they were receiving from an outside source, either uh, from a boyfriend, from a spouse, from a family member, from another source, telling them, hey, you should get an abortion. And that played a huge role in their decision to do so. So, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's a reminder, right, that this isn't this isn't just a women's issue. It's men play a really big role in this issue as well. Oh, for sure. And if you falsely base your entire pro-abortion movement on women's choice, which is so problematic to begin with, then you have examples of women like Britney Spears, and I think more and more who are going to come out and say, no, this wasn't actually my choice. Um, I actually didn't want to go through with this. It really just undermines your entire effort, at Mm -hmm. least if you're being genuine, which I don't think that many in the pro-abortion side are in any meaningful way. But yeah, it's, oh, that Charlotte Lozier, that's what I was thinking of. This Charlotte Lozier report that you're referencing, it noted that about 15% of the women they spoke to, about 15% of them reported abortions for wanted pregnancies. Mm. And that's like not a statistic that you hear often is the number of abortions that go to women who like just like simply wanted the child. Because you always hear like, oh, 50% of pregnancies in the United States are unwanted. Therefore, it makes sense we have this many abortions, which by the way, when they're calculating unwanted pregnancies, that literally includes a married woman who was surprised. Um, So like she didn't expect to get pregnant. That doesn't mean the child was unwanted in like the sense that they're suggesting that it is, right? It just meant that they weren't literally trying to get pregnant at that time and were surprised. Doesn't mean they had any question of whether they're going to keep the child or not. Mm. Um, Yeah, but it's just like the wanted pregnancy abortion rate. Like that's the one that's just so incredibly sad to me. Um, And that doesn't get nearly enough time um, aside from like this Britney Spears moment in, in our conversations. 
That's so sad. And that is not something that is ever discussed, Mm -mm. ever. You're so right. And it just, that is why it is so important as someone that was (laughs) majored in biology that messed with (laughs) statistics and messed with, you know, like, how do I phrase this so that it's technically scientifically correct? Mm -hmm. That messaging angle of things is so corrupted sometimes. And that's why you have to question whether it's something like abortion or something like related to Israel. Mm. You really have to dig in for context. Um, yeah. Wow. So important. I'm shocked. Well, and for we just want to say for any of our listeners, I mean, just statistically, I'm sure some people listening have had abortions and we want to say like, you are loved, you are supported. There are so many awesome resources that are available for you. I think pretty much every pregnancy resource center, either, either themselves will have a, a post-abortion kind of recovery program, or if they don't have one, they will know of some resources to point you towards. Um, and also, for, for those listening, maybe you didn't have an abortion, but you probably know someone who did. And our our response always has to be one of, of comfort and care and love because, again, for so many women that, just like Britney Spears, that, that regret, it doesn't go away <laughs> with time. It's been more than 20 years for Britney Spears, and she's still wrestling over that decision. And that, multiple that children later. You. And right? multiple like children she's later. She's had children, and True. still that pregnancy yeah. matters. It's not just a, oh, I've had kids. This isn't important anymore. Not replaceable. Yeah. And yeah. like to your point, Virginia, like the greatest weapon of the enemy is shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and shame, um, unlike sort of like secular discussions on it, like shame is not something that you overcome by shouting your abortion. Um, but because sh- oftentimes, like shame is the thing that actually silences you. It causes you to turn inward on yourself, um, unable to connect well with others, unable to even connect fully with God. Um, but in James five sixteen, uh, the passage says that confess your sins one to another, and you shall be healed. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea of confessing your sins is a way that like you were set free from the shame of the enemy, mm-hmm. um, and the feeling the deep, deep, and frankly, like. Is like that that level of regret um, doesn't have to be shame, right? Like mm-hmm. there are things like conviction is a real thing, and like feeling bad about it is actually a proper response when you do something wrong. But the difference within the Christian faith, right, is that in doing something wrong, you are not defined by it and forever condemned by it if yeah. you repent and confess it, right? Um, so it's not to say that it doesn't matter. So shout your abortion; it's not a big deal. It does matter. It matters so much. But even in that, right, like mm-hmm. the redemption um, of Christ in that repentance is, is so much greater than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just like the importance of confession and not being trapped in silence and that, like that is the thing that ultimately brings freedom and healing to people. Um, I, yeah. Just cannot underscore that enough. Yeah. Absolutely. There is freedom. There is healing available. And if if you happen to live somewhere where you're, like, you're just not sure where to find resources, uh, DM the Problematic Women Instagram account and um, we will help you track down resources for a post, post-abortion recovery program because there's some amazing ones out there. But okay, we're gonna we're gonna transition to something. I, I said we were going lighter. lighter. <laughs> I know. I said that was gonna be lighter, and it really wasn't. This one really will be lighter. So we're gonna lighten the tone for a moment and talk about college degrees and whether you really need one or not. I am so excited to talk about this, just because for the longest time now, I have been 
saying that it is not the only option. You do not just have to go to college. Um, but yeah, college degrees are getting a run for their money just in time for student loan payments to start up again. And actually, I mean, they did just start. Yes. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> in a shift that is sure to alter the job market, major businesses, including Walmart, IBM, Accenture, Bank of America, and even Google, are reducing the number of jobs that require college degrees. Instead, they're focusing on skills, experience, passions, and eventually um, also cultural fits once that applicant has made it through the process, um, which is crazy, right? Like looking at experience and skills. Whoa, that's so weird. Um, In a recent report from the Burning Glass Institute, the company predicted this shift could open up 1.4 million jobs for folks without a degree in the next five years. Um, Between 2017 and 2019 alone, we saw that 46% of middle middle skill occupations and 31% of high skill occupations saw this drop in college degree requirements. And it's not just big corporations. States are also dropping degree requirements for government jobs as well. And actually, Virginia became the 13th state to remove degree requirements. So for all our friends living just across the river, you don't need a college degree to work for the government anymore. Interesting. Right? And um, so, yeah. So we might have reached an era where your skills and experience have more uh, weight than your degree. And people are attributing this to the large demand for employees and shifting views of college requirements by newer generations. Obviously, for those of you guys looking or who have been looking at the economy, unemployment rates have just been all over the place in the last few years, not just because of COVID, but because of the welfare system. So it'll be interesting. I don't think this is surprising, um, just given everything that has happened in the last five-ish years. but how do you think this is going to shake up the the American job landscape? Like, what do we mm. think is going to happen? Mm. I I think that we will see this increasing, where more and more people are making that decision that college is not worth it. For one, because more jobs are saying, yeah, we want experience. You don't necessarily need a degree. And two, uh, because I think college is becoming less and less useful, increasingly colleges are honestly their little money-making factories and they are trying to get as many students in the door and out the door as possible we've seen this explode specifically with online programs that colleges can make so much money essentially giving out degrees online and the the rigor of college is not what it used to be it's fallen so far we have so many very very general degree programs and, you know, I'm, I, I loved my college experience. I would do it again. Um, I think I, I grew a ton during college, made lifelong friendships. And I used my degree a little bit. My degree helped open doors for me. But on a daily basis, I'm not using what I learned in my college classes. And my guess is the majority of people working in and around D.C. would say the exact same thing. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Turns out there's like very little in common with your political science degree and what politics actually is. Yeah. Um, Surprise. I think you're basically saying that the modern university is just a form of loan sharks. Um, <laughs> they are willing to accept anyone. People they know, frankly, in some cases, aren't going to really benefit from it. Um, And they're more than happy to give them $100,000 in debt and enslave them for the rest of their life, having to pay it back, Mm -hmm. Um, destroy their credit, hurt their chances of getting married, um, of being marriageable. Like, this is the huge problem is that, like, if 
you're only going to be making medium income with a college degree, um, working jobs that you probably like didn't need a college degree to work, and you also have thousands upon thousands of dollars in debt, it's really hard as a man or a woman to then say like, oh, I'm good marriage content. Like, mm. like I'm, yeah, I don't know, good marriage material, right? Yeah. Like you, you should really take a stake on me. Sorry, we also have to pay off this bill. Like my, um, we're still paying off um, some of my husband's student loans and uh, payments just started back. And like, that was a really like hard conversation because it was like, oh, like our budget is about to change like a lot per month. Like this yeah. is really painful mm -hmm. um, and like totally worth it. Great degree, et cetera. Um, but imagine if you like weren't using your degree or you just kind of went or your like your high school admissions person was like, no, going to school is a sign of success. If you don't go to college, you're not successful. When that's just like, frankly, not a true or accurate metric. Mm -mm. And then frankly, most so I'm of two minds on this. I am the product of liberal arts education, um, high school and college. Mm -hmm. I could not speak more highly of my time in school and the importance of reading good books and thinking with good minds and really being formed as a person. Yeah. Mm. That is a minority of what college education is today. Oh, totally. Um, and most people are really just going to be taught by teachers who are fine, probably not like that qualified no more than like your average person right they're just kind of teaching material that they like came up with or that they had in a textbook you're getting like yeah it's just I don't know it doesn't seem like if you're not going for like a, a human formation liberal arts degree if you don't need it for specialization mm -hmm. I just I don't know it doesn't seem it seems like the apprenticeship model would work really well like businesses mm -hmm. like a bank saying yes. I'm going to apprentice you teach you what you need to know about being a banker or working as a teller and then by the end of these like if I take you on for two years, you have to work for us for at least five years, right? Yeah. They're able to actually train them on what they need to know, create a program. Like that model seems like it's would be far more effective, which is what a lot of these large corporations are doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this is where I really put the onus on high schools because um, Kristen and I were talking about this yesterday, but in my high school, there was there was no giving of career tests. Like there was very little talk of what do you actually want to do with your life? It was just, where are you going to college? And, oh, yeah, what, what do you think you'll major in? And, oh, it's okay if you go in undeclared. You can figure it out. And I think that what we're missing within society and specifically within high schools is really helping young people to understand where their giftings are, where their passions are, starting freshman year, so that by the time they reach senior year, they have a pretty good sense of, okay, this is maybe five areas where I'm interested in going into, or at least I know that I don't want to go into X, Y, or Z. Because right now we have young people graduating from high school, and of course they don't know what they want to do with their lives because no one has helped to mold that or shepherd that or help point out, hey, you have a lot of strong giftings here. And unless, you know, there's obviously young people who from a very young age know, you know, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a lawyer, or I want to go into politics. But I think usually that's more of the exception, not the rule. Most people most young people need a lot of shepherding. They need a lot of getting to have those experiences. Maybe they spend, um, you know, every Friday for a month in a doctor's office just to experience, do I like this environment? Do I like the pace? That there needs to be way more hands-on application within the job field in our education system. Totally. And I think to your point in high school, I'm, you know, reflecting back to that ancient time, um, <laughs> but there, there really aren't a ton of resources out there for high school students. No. Um, and there are states trying to change that where it's um, student transparency acts that are out there that um, introduce them to after school programs that, you know, if you're interested in cars, maybe it brings you to a mechanic and you can work 
on, on cars with that person. They train you. Um, if you're interested in plumbing, I guess you could do that too. Um, they actually make really good money. Yeah, um, welding first year, yeah. you're making 80K. Right, like that's not <sighs> If nothing. you open a Waffle House, your first year salary is $100,000. Serious? <laughs> and then if you last, which like, I don't know, working at Waffle House is like being a parole officer, like effectively. But if you last, you can start making like 250K within like five to 10 years. But that's entrepreneurship, you know? Right. Like yeah. that's yeah. you taking the initiative and running a business, which is not something that you are taught in college, in my opinion. This no. is true. Well, and it's such like the whole like college (laughs) mindset is so recent right like the Mm -hmm. university framework that we have today is post-world war ii gi bill Mm -hmm. like the first time we actually had widespread um expectations or even ability or desire to go to college was coming out of the gi bill and so like paying for men it used to be like sort of like a finishing school for like very particular special like particular jobs or if you needed particular training to be a doctor to be an engineer um but by and large like everyone else would just graduate and then get a good job and be trained on the job and continue working there right um but yeah so like it really just has i think turned into like in a large area is like just a massive money-making scam and it just sort of like keeps reinforcing itself where it's like oh we're going to like bring on these academics and the academics justify their presence mm-hmm. here by having more students and the students. Yeah. It's just, it's, and then it's they're bad. lectured and then they all think the same and it, it's scary. And, and then Iver Max Kendi gets to open his exactly. like woke think tank. And yeah. You're like, well, this is a terrible like, use what of our is funds. Happening? I think that it is important to remember, you know, there are a lot of things that are qualifying kids to, to go to school nowadays. And a lot of times um, guidance counselors, like we kind of talked about this, mm-hmm. they're like, volunteer do extra uh, curricular actor activities after school and people are just doing it to check the box when really lean into a volunteering opportunity if you're interested in being a doctor go wheel patients around in the hospital or a va hospital volunteer yeah. opportunity that's what i did and i learned very quickly that i didn't want to be a physical therapist like go do something yeah, like that oh. not because your college want like you're, it's going to make you look good on your resume but because it's going to make you a better person and understand yourself better yeah um the German education system does this really well, too, where they expose people in high school age to kind of like just these are the careers. Figure it out. Go try one. If you don't like it, come back to us. We'll do it again. And then if they do go to college, which some of them don't, um, they're doing it intentionally, which, you know, is is smart. You know, law school, medical school. I want these people to be trained in what they need to be trained in. But it's intentional mm-hmm. and yeah. purposeful. There's a huge difference between reading about a topic and actually like working in that field and industry Mm -hmm. um, that you really highlighted, Kristen, I think it's just Mm -hmm. like so, so true. Like there are so many things that I loved reading about um, I like did the whole foray into biology classes and I was like, this is fascinating. I love everything about this. And then I like visited a lab and I was like, I feel like I'm literally going to die. Yep. And then I was in a hospital and I was like, I can't do blood. Turns out that's a really big problem. Like it was yep. just like very clear that like, yep. oh, this is interesting to me. I don't need to go to college for this. Like it this is not. Yeah. It reminds me of, I'm sorry, but the Harry Potter analogy is coming out when um, the fourth movie, maybe when she's like, you just need the theory of dark magic. And Hermione's like, but what if someone attacks us? No one's going to attack you. Don't worry. It's like, no, you need to actually know what you're doing. Like what? <laughs> sorry. That was practical. Tangent. I love it. I love it. Bring also, in, bring how is references. Harry Potter not in the top 10? I know. That's I was just thinking that. Circle back. Good question. Yeah, full circle on a couple of levels. <laughs> circle back. Hold on. Let me let me command F this and see where it is. Oh, wow. Okay. It's not till 49. What? Number wow. 49. Uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, part two. Oh. Are you kidding 49. me? That's so interesting. Yeah. Maybe the book launches were bigger. Maybe. 
Yeah, gosh. And then the next one is 90, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That's really, I know, I will say Harry Potter came out a little bit before the movie theater craze. Yeah, true. So many people were like, I'm going to the midnight show and I'm dressing up and all of that. That would have been so fun. Seriously? Imagine you to dress up as a wizard because I would have done that. I think I did do that, actually. Like, I, I remember distinctly that I think I had knee surgery or something. So I watched Harry Potter in my recovery phase and then showed up at midnight for the maybe part two. Maybe I helped with that. Maybe <laughs> I don't <did>. know. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, all right. Well, stay tuned because up next, we crown our problematic woman of the week. Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct, designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, it is that time once again. My favorite time of the week. Time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... Yale Eckstein. Yale is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. And I had the privilege of sitting down with Yale for an interview on the Daily Signal podcast that um, actually went live this morning. And I wanted to give you all just a little bit of a preview into my conversation with her. She runs, like we said, the fellowship, uh, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. They are on the ground in Israel. She lives in Israel. They're delivering food to those in need, literally moving bomb shelter to bomb shelter bringing supplies, water, the basic necessities. They have set up uh, a tent at the site where they are. The Israeli government is bringing all of the bodies that they're finding, the dead bodies. The International Fellowship of Christians and Jews has set up a tent there with basic needs for family members who are coming to identify their loved ones. They're there to love on those people, to make sure that they have just basic resources, what they need. And Yale told me a powerful story of a mother and her daughter who were waiting to uh, identify a family member in that tent. And they waited for five days. And the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews had mattresses for them to sleep on. It was just there with them in the midst of their grief. Um, So here's Yale telling that story. I just think it's so powerful. There was just a mother and her 10-year-old daughter. They were at our center that we set up at the place where you identify the bodies. They were there for five days straight. The mother refused to leave. Her husband and her son were both killed. Her husband wasn't identified till just a day or two ago. Her son was identified immediately. And her and her 10-year-old daughter, she said, we are not leaving until we identify my husband's body. And for five days, she was there with our staff and with food and with everything they needed to play with the child, to love the child, to bring the child's favorite meal to the center. And when we said that this is donated from Christians around the world who love you and stand with you, what I'm saying is I don't know if the food is bringing them more life or just that message of not being alone. Well, I I was honestly, I was just so moved by Yael, by the work the tangible work. I think so many of us are in this position right now watching what's happening in Israel. And it's just like, what can I do? What can I do? And 
prayer is one of the most powerful things we can do. And then, you know, if, if you want to get involved, if you feel so inclined to get involved in a tangible way, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is just a great organization. And the work that Yale Eckstein and her team are doing in Israel is truly being the hands and feet of Jesus, in my opinion. So uh, we'll leave a link in today's show notes for their website, but you can learn more about them and what they're doing at ifcj.org, or you can just Google International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. But with that, congratulations to Yale for being a very well-earned Problematic Woman of the Week. And Emma, thank you for being with us on today's show. Thank you as always. I love it. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, we are going to leave it there for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world and we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. It makes sense a huge difference. Have a great week, guys. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.